The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me God is real. 
God is real. He's not pretend. He's not make-believe. He's not a figment of our imagination. God is real. Jesus is real. He rules over heaven and earth. Are you aware of that? Oh, I don't mean intellectually. That's important, but not most important. The most important part is to know in your very being that God is real. I am very afraid of God. I'm very fearful. I'm not afraid because he might strike me. I know he loves me. I know he's forgiven me for my sin. I know he's turned back the enemy from my life. I know he's carrying me. I know he's carrying this ministry. Then what am I afraid of? I'm very fearful of offending him. I don't want to offend Almighty God. I don't want to offend him in my words or my actions. I don't want to offend him in my thinking, in my thoughts. I want to please him in every respect. He is more real to me than anything in this physical world is real to me. He is everything to me. My very life is dependent upon his mercy and his kindness. I don't want to offend him. I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to make his heart hurt because of my wickedness or my unbelief or my rebellion, my casualness before him, my adultery before him with other gods. I want him to know I belong to him, that I am passionately concerned and in love. And in every cell of my body, desire to belong to him and to be obedient to him. The children of Israel, on the morning of the third day, listened as the thunder rolled and the lightning struck. Thick clouds were over the mountain. There was a a loud trumpet blast, louder than anything they'd ever heard before. Everyone in the camp trembled in fear. Will we survive today or will we die in this wilderness Moses, at the head of the people, led them out of the camp to meet with their God. They stood humbly at the foot of the mountain. The mountain was billowing with smoke like a great volcano. 
the Lord had descended on that mountain in fire. The smoke was billowing up as from a furnace. And the trumpet kept blowing louder and louder until they had to put their fingers in their ears lest their eardrums split apart. And then Moses spoke. He spoke to God. And God answered him. Now this whole demonstration of God's presence and his power was to cause the children of Israel to fear lest they offend him with their sin. And then God spoke these ten words. We know them as the Ten Commandments. He wrote on both sides, back and front, of the stone tablets. He engraved them with the finger, his finger, the finger of God. This is what he wrote. You shall have no other gods before me, or probably more accurately translated, you shall have no other gods besides me. Besides me. In other words, you shall have no gods in your life except me. I alone am to be the God of heaven and earth above you. You will not have any other gods. He has a right to say that. He's the one who led them by his mighty hand out of slavery in Egypt. This is the only time in history where a people have been taken out of the womb of another nation and established as a nation in their own right. And that's what's happening here. A nation is being born. And now God is telling them, you shall have no other God besides me. I am alone to be God for you. Isn't that awesome? No other gods. What are gods? Gods are people or things or ideas that we worship, that we place great value upon, that we live our lives for. Some of you today are living your life for money. It has become for you a God. And you are offending the Lord God of heaven and earth. Some of you have made sex your God. Some of you have made your husband or your wife or your children your God. Some of you have made your your pets, your dogs or your cats your God. The Lord has said, you shall have no other gods besides me. I am alone to be what you worship. 
and what you cherish and everything else. Put it in its proper place. You are a servant of the Most High God. So when you go to work, you are going to work to serve Jesus. You are ministering in his name in the factory or in the sales position. You're serving Jesus in that construction crew or in that medical practice. You're serving Jesus if you're sitting in a government office. You are not there for money. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things that the pagans run after will be added unto you. He will add them to you through the work that he's assigned to you. Follow his lead. Don't be jumping from one to the next to the next, searching for better pay and searching for more recognition, searching for for productivity. God does not require you to be utilitarian. He wants you to serve him in love and compassion, helping other people on the journey. After all, what is this all about? What is life all about? It's not about making money. It's not about buying stuff. It's about helping each other on the journey toward heaven. It's about grabbing a hold of the lost and the dying and, while not wanting to even touch their filthy garments, drawing their hearts to Jesus by your compassion and your mercy and your straight, honest dialogue with them about the meaning of reality. They too are called by Jesus. You shall have no other gods before me or besides me. to recognize what we worship. And many of you today can hardly wait until you can get to that football game or that baseball game or that tennis match. You worship them. They are your entertainment. Some of you worship your your ecclesiastical system, your church calendar. Some of you worship your religion, but not Jesus. You invest great amounts of time working in a religious atmosphere with others who call themselves Christians, but the very heart of the deal is you're there for you, for your social connections. You're not there for Jesus. Some of you don't talk about Jesus. You talk about the world, the flesh, the devil. You talk about the current events. You talk about what's happening in America. You talk about COVID, you talk and talk and talk and talk, but you don't talk about Jesus because he's not first on your heart. 
He doesn't have your heart. Because you worship the idols. You worship the false god. How, how do we change this? The book of Hosea, in the 10th chapter, gives a very firm word of direction that we need to hear. I'll begin reading in Hosea, the 10th chapter, verse 12. So for yourselves, righteousness, that is, innocence. So for yourselves, righteousness, innocence. And reap, and reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground or your fallow ground. Break it up, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Not imputes righteousness, but dresses you in real righteousness. He says, break up this unplowed ground, this fallow ground, this this ground that's not ready. Well, I was raised on a farm and I know what we had to do to get the ground ready to plant. It was rich soil, but by spring it was beaten down. It was hard. I know I'd go out there on my bare feet. The first thing dad had to do was plow deep. He'd plow the ground. He'd turn the furrows over. And that rich soil would then be on the top and the, and the old things of the corn and beans and tomatoes would all be turned under. Then the next thing he had to do is get a machine that had sharp blades and he would cut that soil up, going over it and over it called disking. When he was finished disking, he had to harrow it. Harrowing means strong iron points poking down at a certain angle. I got to always ride on that. Dad wanted a little extra weight on the harrow, so I loved riding behind the tractor, sitting on a board on the harrow. And when he was finished harrowing, it would be like soft soil ready for planting. Then dad would go and get his shovel. He'd put a, a long cord on that garden, a long cord on that garden. And he'd say, Ray, get the corn. And I'd get the seed. He'd put the shovel in and pull it back and I'd throw three seeds into that ground and then we'd take the next one and the next one and the next one till we had the whole field planted. And that corn would sprout and grow and produce an incredible crop. Break up your unplowed ground. Well, we can't we can't plow our heart. We can't 
disc our heart or harrow our heart. How do we break up the unplowed ground? Well, can you create emotion? I can't. I can't just begin to cry. I can't create emotions of great joy and celebration. No, that's a secondary effect. There has to be another step we take that begins to create and cause that joy to rise up in our hearts. And what is that step? Well, I like that little book that I had to read in French class many years ago. It was called The Little Prince. And the little prince was visiting in an area, and there was a red fox there. And the red fox said to the little prince, Would you tame me? And the little prince said, I don't know what what it means to tame you. How do I tame you? And the little fox answered, Waste time with me. That's a very profound statement. How do you begin to break up the unplowed ground of your heart? By paying attention to it. By paying attention to it. And if you're going to pay attention to your heart, you're going to have to stop paying attention to something else. You can't pay attention to everything at the same time. That defeats the purpose. If you want to begin to break up the hard ground of your heart, you're going to have to come to terms, honestly, with where that hardness is in your heart. And then you're going to have to start paying attention to it. We've just gone through and we're going through a very shameful time with Afghanistan. Word came out this morning that Glenn Beck, who raised the money to help refugees escape, help Americans escape, has been blocked by the State Department. And the State Department then gave the manifest, the names of these people, to the Taliban. That's an act of treason. The Biden administration is a treasonous administration. It's very clear. Their best is not for you and me in America. It's for some wicked political interest. If you want to create emotion about what's happening in Afghanistan. You're going to have to spend time and read the reports of men, women, and children being executed. One policewoman was just executed in front of her children and her husband in a horrific scene of devastation and destruction. 
been thinking a lot and praying a lot about this Afghanistan deal, and my heart is very tender toward the Afghan people. I have dear friends who are from Afghanistan. I love them. They're very they're very good Americans. One is an FBI agent, a very honest man, a hard-working man. And his wife and his children, it would break my heart if they were treated this way. Well, what has caused this upwelling in my heart about Afghanistan, about the Christians who are caught there, who are being executed, going door-to-door, searching them out, and just shooting them right there in the street in front of their family and friends. Why am I so concerned for them? Well, because I'm thinking about them. I'm praying for them. And the emotions then begin to well up and overflow in tears. What has our attention is what creates emotion. As one man said to me, I don't love my wife anymore. I said to him, Are you spending any time with her? Well, no, we really don't have time. We're both very busy with our careers. We're very busy doing what we need to do, taking care of everything. I said, Well, the reason you don't love her is because you're not thinking about her. You're not spending time with her. You're thinking about everything else. If you want to change that, love is a decision, but it's a decision involving time. You're going to have to waste time with your wife. And then as you see the places where she's strong, you'll rejoice. And as you see the places where she is hurting and weak, compassion is going to rise in your heart. And you're going to want to cover her weakness. Isn't that how you were when you met? Yes. Did you love her when you married? Yes. Well, you can get that love back, but it's going to cost you time and energy and money. Are you willing to spend that? Well, I don't know. Well, like I said, love is a decision. It's not just emotion. It's doing what is necessary to bring the emotions to the surface. So you will love your wife. Love is much more than emotion, but it is also emotion. It's sexual between a husband and a wife. And if there's no sexual energy between you, it's because you have chosen not to spend time together. And you've not been honest with each other about your feelings. You've not been honest about what you're thinking. If you want to break up the fallow ground, you're going to have to get honest with your wife. Well, she'd really be mad. Well, are you a man? Can you handle it? It's her mad, not yours. We'd never thought of that before. Talked with a man this last week. His wife had a stroke. She needs care. He's also physically disabled. So they're divorcing. 
I said, don't you love your wife? Well, yeah, I love her. But I have to do what's best for me. And she has to do what's best for her. Wrong. Liar, liar, your pants are on fire. He said, well, I talked to our pastor and he said, yes, you're in a very unusual situation. You need to divorce. Her parents can take care of her better than you can. What? You became one flesh. You're supposed to think about her before you think about you. He couldn't deal with that. All he could think about was what I need, and she can't meet my needs, and I can't meet her needs, so we're going to separate and divorce. We're still friends. We still have a meal together once a week. Do you see how deceived we've been? Selfishness rises up in our hearts. It says, but you have planted wickedness and you have reaped evil. You've eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. Why are the fortresses being devastated? Because they're only concerned about themselves. And they're not spending any time thinking about that other person. You want passionate love in your heart for Jesus? Then you're going to have to think about Jesus. You're going to have to spend time serving him and reading the word. The more you read the scriptures, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're going to have to go to the Word. You're going to have to get the Word in you. The Scriptures, Jesus is the Word. You've got to get them inside of you. That takes time. There's no shortcut. Well, Pastor, I'm just just too busy trying to make a living. Well, you may make a temporary living, but in the end you're going to go to hell because you had no time for Jesus. And so you don't love him. And so you're planting wickedness. You're reaping evil. You've eaten the fruit of deception because you've depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. If you want to break up the fallow ground of your heart, identify it. Then take the time and to think about them, to think about that person. People say to me, Pastor, I know I should have strong feelings of concern for the lost and the dying, but to be honest, Pastor, I don't have any feelings for them at all. Well, how do you get feelings for the lost? You choose to spend time with some precious lost people. And as you see their condition before a holy God, and you recognize that if something doesn't happen in their lives, they're going to go to hell. 
Great feelings of compassion will begin to bubble up in your heart and in your mind. And you'll begin to take action to rescue them, to save them, to say, I love you. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to go to hell. There's a heaven waiting for you, brother. Do you hear me? We are to have no God besides Jesus Christ. What you think about, where you spend your time and your money, if you'll look at it carefully, you will find that you are spending your time and your energy on your money on what you worship. And if you're worshiping another god, you are offending the most high god of heaven. And your life will be forfeit because you're eating the fruit of deception. You're depending on your own strength and your own wisdom. And in the end, what is today considered a fortress, whether it's the credit card or the money, it will be devastated and you will lose everything. And you will be lost for eternity. You want to change how you feel? Then change what you're spending your time with. Take a look at what you're doing with your time and your energy and look at the God you're serving. You may be giving lip service to Jesus, but if he does not have the best of your time and money and energy, you are not serving Jesus. You are serving foreign gods. And most people that I know are serving foreign gods. And they're lost. And I'm concerned. And I've been weeping over them. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say in the book of Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. My brother, my sister, that's what I want. 
I would enjoy driving a new car. Do I spend any time or energy looking for new cars? No. Do I spend any time or energy dreaming about a new car? No. I'm very content with driving the car I drive. A 1990 Sonata. I'm happy driving it. It gets me from point A to point B. I'm not going to spend time wishing I had a newer car with fewer miles. Do I spend time wishing I I had anything in the material world? No, I don't. No, I don't. Why? Because my time is consumed thinking about Jesus and reading the scriptures and and reaching out to brothers and sisters and ministering to them and talking with them and asking them questions and urging them to, to seek the face of Jesus. Well, pastor, that sounds like you're a one-track mind. Yeah, you got it. I'm a one-track mind. I'm a Jesus mind. That's all I care about. And I, I love his people, and I love the lost, and I want to see them come into fellowship with him. I want to see them have the power of his resurrection. I want them to share in the same sufferings that I'm sharing in. I want them to become like Jesus. That's the cry of my heart. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. That is, totally mature. He's not saying he was walking in sin. He's not walking in any known sin. But he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you something? It's going to take every ounce of energy you have to make heaven. Now, it's not by works. It's by faith. But everything in the human heart rises up against the name of Jesus. Everything in the human heart rises up to give us false gods to worship. Even to make us busy, busy, busy with the work of the gospel so we don't have time to pray and we don't have time to wait before God. That's why Jonathan Edwards is such a, a prince in my mind where he finally just spent 18 hours a day in the scriptures crying out to God. And out of that came the third great awakening, or the first great awakening. The first great awakening came out of the prayer closet. The church was birthed out of the prayer closet. Your life must be birthed out of the prayer closet in Jesus Christ. Well, what do you pray about? The fallow ground. The areas that the Holy Spirit points out of hardness and unbelief 
and you cry out to the Lord for the lost and the dying. You find yourself less and less praying for yourself and more and more praying for others. I will tell you, I do spend some time praying for the finances for this radio broadcast. And I've had such encouragement this week in letters and notes from you all who are saying, Stand, Pastor, by faith for this broadcast. God will give you all that you need and abundantly more. So I don't need to spend hours and hours a day praying as I have in the past to cover the cost of this radio. Instead, I'm spending that time praying for those who will listen to this radio, who will listen to the broadcast. Your heart to be touched, your heart to be changed, your heart to come into a place of Jesus where there's no longer any hard ground in your heart. There's no longer any judgments against a brother or a sister. There's no root of bitterness in your heart. There's no disobedience to the commands of Jesus. You're not shacked up with somebody. You're not, you're not lusting after money. You're filled with the Spirit of God. I'm asking him to do that in you. I name many of you by name. I have, I have here all the letters that I've gotten in just this month. And I'm going through them. Leslie and, and Thomas and Kevin and, and David and Peter, Robert, Alberta, Twyla, Richard, Chris, Delip, Terry, Terry Lee, Thomas, you and your wife, you're praying for me. I'm so grateful you're praying for me. I'm praying for you as well. Because I want this transformation in your heart to be completed. And if it is completed, I'm praying, oh God, strengthen their hands. Strengthen them as they bear testimony for you. Strengthen them. Heal their bodies. We need people healed and restored and powerful in the spirit for the work that's about to come to all of us. The work of the gospel is about to explode in America. Persecution is about to explode in America. I'm asking that God would strengthen you, restore you to himself in every area where there's still an issue, any discouragement to dispel it, any depression, cast it out, any fear, let it be gone now in the name of Jesus. Now he continues. Verse 17, this is Philippians 3. Join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before that, and now say again with, with sobs, with wails, with tears, many live as enemies 
of the cross of Christ Jesus. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So I have to stop and just ask you, please. Some of you have refused to fast. The Holy Spirit is calling for a general fast in the body of Christ. Some of you have type 2 diabetes because you are overweight and you have abused your bodies. Type 2 diabetes can be overcome by careful fasting. Your God is your stomach. Your glory is in your shame. You need to fast. Why? For your health, for the loss of weight. But even more, you need to fast that your heart would be fully focused on Jesus Christ. When I fast, I get hungry. That hunger focuses my attention on Jesus and makes me even more hungry for Jesus. So I take the physical hunger and I use it to focus my spiritual hunger on Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is, think about godly things. Think about Jesus. Finally, brothers, sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is it, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I want the God of peace to be with you. I want your heart to be full and overflowing with the love of God for your wife, for your husband, for your children. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be very, very fearful of offending 
the Almighty God of heaven and earth, the King. I want you to be very concerned about whether your actions are offending him. And the way you'll know whether you're offending him is by whether you spend time with him. My dad, and I'm much like my dad, I'd call him on the phone and he'd say, Ray, I don't like to talk on the phone. You say you love me. Dad, I do love you. Well, then come home and spend some time with me. Ah, all right, Dad. I'm going to come spend a week with you and we'll do the projects you want to do. And I would take my family and we would go visit Grandma and Grandpa up in western Pennsylvania. And we would spend the week with Dad, with Grandpa and Grandma. That let Dad know that I loved him. If you love me, come see me. Don't call me on the telephone. Don't text me. Come see me. Well, I agree. That's what Jesus would say to you. Don't tell me you love me and you never come see me. If you love me, come spend time with me. You want to spend eternity with me? Let's start it now. Pardon me. If you don't spend time with Jesus now, you'll never spend eternity with him. Do you understand? Thou shalt have no other gods besides me. He wants total prominence in your heart and in your life. And if you want that close intimacy with Jesus, you're going to have to turn off the sports. You're going to have to turn off the television. You're going to have to get off the internet. You're going to have to get off the telephone. And you're going to have to get alone. And you're going to have to open the scriptures. And you're going to have to begin to cry aloud to God and say, Lord, I'm missing you and I need some time with you. Would you give me some time, Jesus? And he'll give you that time. And he'll come and speak his secrets to your heart. In the last several years, couple years, I've been in a lot of solitude. Much of the busyness has been cut from my life. Many people have been cut from my life that I was spending a great deal of time ministering to. Some don't need the ministry anymore, and some others just rejected it totally and cut me off, and that's okay. My eyes are on Jesus. And so my entire focus is breaking up all of the fallow ground and planting in it the seed, the word of God. I'd love to spend time with Jesus. I am literally jealous of every moment I have to be in service to others, even though I'm willing and eager to serve them. 
I'm so hungry for Jesus. And my heart is overflowing with his love. He paid last month's radio bill. He's paid for my rent. He's paid for my food. He carries me. I love him. He's my Lord. Well, we're out of time for today. I'm going to continue this message tomorrow. Write to me. I'd love to hear from you. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you can also go to our webpage and you can listen to this message and many, many other podcasts and videos. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'm praying for you. Break up your fallow ground and the Lord will come and you will reap a great harvest of love. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you.